If you have flown on a plane any time in the last 40 years, then you have heard the pre-flight safety lecture. But in case it's been a while for you, let me refresh your memory with one particular section of this thing we've been hearing for a long time. Check this out. Now, if the airplane loses pressure, oxygen masks will drop automatically. While remaining seated with your seatbelt fastened, pull down on the mask to extend the tubing. The yellow cup goes over your nose and mouth like so, then slip the band over your head to secure the mask to your face. The band adjusts automatically. Normal breathing will start the flow of oxygen. And remember to always put your own mask on first before helping others. So familiar, right? I've heard it so many times, over and over again. And also just such intuitive, good wisdom. Before you try to take care of someone else, you gotta get your own mask straight, gotta get your oxygen moving first. And what I love about that particular safety instruction is that in the midst of a, of a truly scary event like a cabin depressurization, when everything else is uncertain, you've got clarity on what you need to do. That you, you know how to put the mask on, you know how it works, and, and once you've got it on, you now know that you're free to help someone else around you. And I love that precision and that clarity uh, in that situation, but too often, I think, in regular, ordinary life, we don't have that same amount of, of clear-cut, obvious steps to take before we help others. That in life, we, we want to help others, but we, we feel like we've got to get our own house in order first. We've got to get our own affairs figured out first. And, and who knows exactly when you have enough oxygen in, in regular, ordinary life? Like, like how do we, how do we define or decide when that moment is that, all right, I'm, I'm squared away, I'm good, and now it's time to help someone else? And, and because of that uncertainty, I know I often get stuck in this not quite yet mentality. Yeah, I, I do, I wanna, I wanna prosper the city, I wanna help my neighbor, I wanna love the people that God's given me to love, but I, I'm not quite yet ready to do that. And I feel like I, I, I live that out in a variety of stages in life. I feel like I see it in other people's life as well. We, we say to ourselves, you know what, once I get that better paying job, then I'll start donating money to worthy causes. Or we say, all right, how about this? Once, once the kids are in school and we get, we get some free time back, then we'll start pursuing our passions. Or maybe once my family gets through this medical diagnosis, then we'll start investing in our neighbors. Or maybe it's even, once I finally retire, then I'll finally have time to start volunteering more. And we all want to be a positive force in the world, but, but all too often it's just, it, we're not quite ready, we're not quite there. I don't know that I've got my oxygen mask firmly and sufficiently placed. And the reason I think we get stuck in that mentality is because of the story that we tell ourselves. And the story goes like this, it's the story, and why I start with this, it's the story of the oxygen mask. And the story of the oxygen mask teaches us that you need to take care of yourself before you can even begin to take care of someone else. And this is why it matters. Because the stories that we listen to, that we believe, that we internalize, those stories will dictate in moments of crisis what we believe and how we will act. And so if this is a story that we're telling ourselves that, that I have to get myself right before I can actually bless and, and help other people around me, then that, that story is gonna dictate all of your behaviors, how you go through life. 
And it matters because if we have the wrong story, then we actually are put in, in positions where we can choose the difference between life and death, and the wrong story is gonna put us on a path towards death. The right story is what puts us on a path towards life. And just to give you one very graphic, direct example, the most tragic and costly plane crash in history was in 1977 in Tenerife. Here's some pictures from it. And in that crash, a Pan Am plane struck a KLM plane, and both of them landed on the runway. It happened right above the runway, so they, they landed right on the runway. And one of the survivors describes his experience. Uh, this man and his wife were in the plane, and they saw that they, they were on the ground, they were safe, but that the engine was on fire. They could see the fire slowly engulfing uh, the plane. And so he describes that he, he made a note of where the exits are, he grabbed his wife's hand, they unbuckled, they made it to the exits, they got out alive. But here's the horrifying part of his story. He says, many more people should have made it out. That in fact, he and the other fleeing survivors ran past living, uninjured people who sat in their seats literally watching for the minutes that it took for the flames to reach them. Why did those people just sit there in those seats when they could have escaped from that plane wreck? It's because they didn't have the right story in the midst of the crisis. This was before those annoying pre-flight safety training videos that we're so used to now. They were like, why do they keep saying this? Why do they make us listen to every flight? How come I have to endure this? And the answer is 1977 Tenerife, because if people don't have the story in the moment of crisis, they won't know the right thing to do. In the moment where the planes crash, that's not the time where you start flipping for the safety brochure in the back of the seat and try, oh, I forget, what did it say about this? You have to know it. You have to have it so deeply ingrained that in the moment of crisis, you instinctually know the right story to get you through that moment. And if you don't know it, it's the difference between life and death. And so today, I wanna look at a particular story from the Bible, a story not of a plane wreck, but of a shipwreck that one of the earliest believers, the Apostle Paul, uh, experienced and persevered through himself. And as we, as we go through this story, and it's gonna be a lengthy story that we read through today, I don't want you to, to receive it as just one more story out of the Bible, you know, just something kind of old and ancient, but I want you to think of it as our own pre-flight safety instructions. That as we listen and internalize this biblical story that God has given us, that this is gonna be the thing that helps us then navigate the very shipwrecks and the catastrophic moments and, and, and the times of crisis in our own life. So with that, we're gonna be looking at Acts 27 through 28, describing this moment of shipwreck in the life of Paul and his biographer, Luke. Verse 13, when a light wind began blowing, oh, actually, TV's over there. <laughs> when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought that they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and they sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength, called a northeaster, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors, they couldn't turn the ship into the wind so they gave up and they just let it run before the gale. And we sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cauda where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat that we had been towing behind us. And then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it because they were afraid it was just gonna splinter apart. They were afraid of being driven all the way across the Mediterranean Sea to the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to try to slow down the ship as they were driven before the wind. 
Then the next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear. They threw it overboard. And the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Man, as terrifying as the thought of being in a plane wreck sounds to me, the thought of being in a shipwreck or a storm like this is even worse. A plane disaster, one way or another, is gonna be over in a few minutes, but for days they lived in nonstop stress, uncertainty, panic. Two weeks of being in this storm until finally at last all hope was gone. And this is the picture for us as we're trying to navigate through life that we're gonna get to these moments, they're gonna happen where, where we're in this spot and, and all the things that we thought were gonna keep us safe, you know, a quality ship, experienced sailors and crew are gonna be shown to be insufficient. And the thing that we hadn't even maybe realized that we were hoping and trusting in is gone. And what are we going to do in that moment? I'm sure you've experienced those moments in your life where the, the things that you'd prepared for, the things you thought you'd anticipated, they, they just didn't pan out the way you wanted. The stuff that you thought would save you is not going to help you now. Maybe it's, it's something like taking your health for granted and just, just assuming that you're always gonna have a body that works the way you want it to work and, and then you get that cancer diagnosis and suddenly all of your skills, all of your plans, these things that you trusted in, they, they go right out the window. Or for me, I, I've been struggling just, just to share with you all that, that I've been in a real hopeless place for the last few months and, and it's for this reason, that, that I thought from all my life that I trusted and put my hope in God to provide and care for me. But what I've had to confront and, and realize is that it's really easy to think you're trusting in God when you're growing up in a country that's stable and prosperous and just. And you say you're trusting God, but really what you're trusting is the stability of your country and your government. In the last few weeks and months especially, I, I've, I've been battling despair because as I, as I read the news, as I, as I try to stay up on events, it becomes ever more clear to me that, that one of the parties is too corrupt to actually govern and the other party is too impotent to stop them. And I'll let you decide for yourself which one you think is which. Because either way it is, the truth is this, that this country that I had trusted in for its stability and its justice has been exposed over the course of COVID-19 as a place of instability and injustice. And as I've had to face my own anger and despair over that, I've had to also then face, I'm in a shipwreck. And I've been putting my hope in the wrong thing to get me through it. But it's in this moment, this moment in verse 20 where all hope for them is gone, this moment for myself where it feels like all of the things I had hoped in have been completely stripped away from me. This is the moment where God will actually show up if we let him. See, the story continues. No one had eaten for a long time. They were too busy fighting the storm. And so finally, Paul called the whole crew together and he said, men, first of all, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. He'd warned them about it before we picked up the story. He says, you would have avoided all of this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God whom I belong said, and whom I serve stood beside me, and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. 
And what's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. In this moment when all hope is gone, God shows up with a clear and strong word to his child, Paul. And this word, it's fascinating to me. I bolded it in there. He says, you're gonna stand trial before Caesar. And if you didn't know, Paul is not a paying passenger on this cruise. He's a prisoner in chains. He didn't choose to be there, didn't want to be there because he's going to be put on trial and potentially executed before Caesar in Rome himself, which does not sound like a very hopeful uh, thing to be heading towards, but here's what's powerful about this, is that because Paul knows that God has told him, you will stand trial before Caesar, that means he can't die in the shipwreck. He can't, because it would mess up God's plans. If God has a plan for Paul and Drowning in the bottom of the sea would disrupt that plan. Paul has all the confidence in the world because God's plans will not be thwarted, not even by a northeaster stranding them at sea for two weeks. But not only that, God was so good because he said, not, Paul, not only will you survive, the people that are in the shipwreck with you, just because they're with you, they're gonna survive too. Could have been that Paul would have just been the only one to wash up on shore, right? And then God's word, his path, his will would still have been true. But, but God in his goodness and his heart for people says, no, no, not only you, Paul, everyone is gonna survive because I have a plan for you and this shipwreck is not going to get in the way. And not only is that true for Paul in Acts chapter 27, that's true for you and it's true for me too. You see, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God designed you and me uniquely, that we are all his finest craftsmanship. We're not assembly line, cranked out, factory made. We're all just indistinguishable from each other. No, no, God, God made you so uniquely and distinct. And then Ephesians 2.10 continues to say, because he has a purpose for you, a work that he created for you and only you to do since the dawn of time. Which means that if you have a work that you and only you can do, whatever shipwreck you're in, it's not going to derail you. It can't. Because if God has something good for you to do, then he will not let any of the storms of life get in the way. It doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. It doesn't mean you're gonna come through unscathed. It doesn't mean it's gonna go the way you had expected or planned it to go. What it means is that God's will for your life will not be undone. My kids often ask me, say, Dad, what happens if you die? And I say, guys, I'm not gonna die anytime soon because I know that God's got stuff for me to do and I am intentionally avoiding doing it because as long as I don't do it, he's gotta keep me around for quite a while. Maybe when you guys are older, you're out of college, then I'll do the things God wants me to do because then it won't matter as much if I die, right? But, but this is the level of confidence that we can and should have. It's the level of confidence Paul has that when you know firmly what God wants you to do, if there's something in your life that's gonna keep you from that, then you know you're gonna prevail because God's will will not be thwarted, not even in the midst of a sea disaster. Let's keep reading. So about midnight, on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed that land was near. 
And so they dropped a weighted line and they found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. And at this rate, we were afraid that we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and then they prayed for daylight. And then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They actually lowered that lifeboat as though they were going to put out some anchors from the front of the ship, but they were just trying to get away. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. Because God promised they were all gonna get through it together one way or another, and if they leave, that promise is null and void. So the soldiers, they actually cut the ropes to the lifeboat and they let it drift away. And then finally, just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried, he said, that you, you haven't touched food for two weeks. Please eat something now for your own good. Because I remind you, I promise you, not a hair of your heads will perish. And then he took some bread, he gave thanks to God before them all, he broke off a piece and he ate it. And then everyone was encouraged. Everyone began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. And then after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. They ate their last meal and then they threw the rest of the food off the ship. And when morning fully dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and they wondered if they could maybe get to shore by running the ship aground on the soft beach. So they cut off the anchors completely, left them in the sea. And then they lowered their rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal, and they ran the ship aground too soon. And so the bow of the ship stuck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves, and it began to break apart. And in that moment, the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure that they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul's life, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. And then instead, he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. And then the others held onto planks or debris from the broken ship, and in that way, everyone escaped safely to shore. What a miraculous and absolutely unpredictable set of circumstances. What a way for Paul and 276 other people to escape from that wreck. And what I love about that story is that that confidence that Paul had from, from earlier on translated into him having the capacity, the margin, to care for all the people who were struggling and panicking around him. That he was able to see that, that they were starving themselves just trying to stay alert and try and battle the storm, and, and he was the voice saying, no, no, you have to eat, you have to, you have to take care of yourself right now. He was the one fastening the oxygen masks on the people all around the ship. And he was reminding them over and over again of the hope that he himself had with God, this God that he believed in. He says, no, no, I promise you're gonna make it ashore. And I recognize in myself all too often when I'm in the middle of these hard seasons, when, when I'm feeling stuck, I, I get so locked into myself. How am I gonna get through this? How am I gonna just bunker down and, and just find a way to, to navigate myself? And that's not what Paul did. That his confidence gave him the margin to make sure that he brought these people along with him every step of the way, that they all came through the other end of the shipwreck in a way that they never would have expected or predicted. And then, even that's not the only, that's not the end of the story, so they, they, they all make it to shore, they all survive, but now they're stuck on a strange island, and so now what does this mean for them, and, and what's gonna be the results of, of the shipwreck? They, they escaped with their lives, but now what? Well, now what's this? 
So once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. And the people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. And as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and he was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. And the people of the island saw it dangling from his hand and they said to each other, he must be a murderer, no doubt. Even though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook the snake into the fire and was unharmed. And the people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they'd waited a long time and they saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds, decided he must be a god instead. And near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us. He treated us kindly for three days. And as it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. And so Paul went in and prayed for him, laid his hands on him, and healed him. And then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. And as a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the rest of the trip. And that's the end of the story of Paul's shipwreck. Isn't that just mind-boggling how this played out, isn't it? That Paul could have chosen, Luke could have chosen to, the way they described the story. I mean, after all, they're writing this chapter of Acts years later. And they could have emphasized the tragedy and the despair and the hopelessness, and, and, and they reference those things. But what you actually see is that as they're, de, as they're describing it from the future perspective, they're calling out how it was such an opportunity for blessing. That they weren't planning on going to Malta. That wasn't on, anywhere on the, on the trajectory or anywhere between them and where they were originally headed. And yet, in this moment of shipwreck, instead of seeing it as an interruption to their ministry, instead of seeing it as the thing that, that they're still despairing or regretting years later, what do they call our attention to but the unanticipated, unpredicted blessing of the people of Malta, the official governor himself and his family? You see, Paul understood something powerful and true. And it's that understanding that changed the shipwreck from a time of tragedy and strife that he just barely got through by the skin of his teeth into an opportunity for unanticipated blessing of the people around him. And, and this is the philosophy that Paul had that he, he wrote in another letter I wanna share with you today. That as he was describing this event to one of his, uh, the people he was mentoring, a young man named Timothy. This is what he wrote. He said, in that moment, the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death in that moment. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack, will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom and all glory to God forever and ever, amen. See, here's the story that Paul knew in the midst of the shipwreck, that he was not alone. And I don't just mean the other 275 guys, his, his friend Luke, it's that Paul knew in the midst of, of every moment that happened for those 14 days that Jesus Christ was standing with him in that boat. And he had evidence because of the angel, that was definitely helpful, but, but even in the moments when the angel wasn't speaking to him directly, he knew that God was with him in that boat, that Christ was sparing him from certain death, and not just in that one shipwreck, that one moment in his personal life, but Christ was sparing him from any and all death giving him access to a life that transcends death that would try to bring our lives to an end here. And that truth for Paul is true for each and every one of us right now. 
See, because Jesus wasn't just standing on one deck of one ship. He came and stood in this earth with us. He didn't stay up in heaven. He came down as a man and he walked alongside us through our own struggles, through our own trials, our own shipwrecks. He was there in all of it and he still conquered death on our behalf. Which means that Paul had access to a hope that we have the exact same access to. I don't know what the specific shipwrecks are gonna look like in your life, but what I know is whatever they are, that promise of Christ is true. He will be standing there with you. And he will not let his purposes be thwarted for you. And just as he spared Paul from certain death, not just on that shipwreck, but for all of his life, he will spare you and me from the worst possible consequences, that there is nothing in this life that can undo the will that God has for you and for me. See, and here's what it does. It changes our outlook, our mentality about these moments of struggle. If we have this truth about Christ, then we don't have to see these moments of strife as an interruption to the life that God has us on. You see, if Paul had seen this shipwreck as an interruption to his main ministry, he wouldn't have had eyes to notice that there were blessings and opportunities all around him. If the shipwreck was an interruption, then Paul was missing out on the call that God had on his life. A modern day author has put it this way. I wanna share this quote with you. He says, for a long time, it seemed to me that life was about to begin, real life, but there was always some obstacle in the way, something to be gotten through first, some unfinished business, time to still be served, a debt to be paid, and then life would begin. But at last it dawned on me that these obstacles were my life. Paul didn't see the shipwreck as an obstacle to the ministry and purpose God had given him. He saw it as part of the ministry and purpose God had given him. Because here's the truth. Life, no matter what anyone else tells you, is a series of shipwrecks. It's just what it is. And that can either be a terrifying and overwhelming burden to face, or it can be liberating. Because what it means is I no longer have to wait for the shipwrecks to stop before I can receive and have this good life and purpose that Jesus has promised for me. In fact, what it means instead is that if life is a series of shipwrecks, it's actually in the shipwrecks that God is doing powerful and mighty things, that God is working in my life. See, here are the truths that I learned from this story. What I hope can become a part of our communal safety training video as we go through these series of shipwrecks together. That in the midst of the shipwreck, God is doing a few things. First, that that we must not lose sight that God has good intentions towards us even when times are hard. It's so easy or natural to think that because of the shipwreck, it must be that that God has has lost interest in me or maybe that I've screwed up or I've, I've gotten derailed from his plans. But maybe sometimes the shipwreck is actually the way that God is doing good intentions for you. But that regardless of what the external circumstances are, this truth remains that your God loves you and wants you to have life Not just a good life here and now, although he does, but an eternal life, a life of purpose and meaning, one where you yourself receive this conquering of death that he's achieved for us. And if that's true, then part of God's intentions towards us are that these shipwrecks, these moments, these are things that are building our perseverance and our endurance and ultimately our character. 
And it's by experiencing the shipwrecks that we learn God's deepest hope for us because we get to see it firsthand. See, because not only that, part of God's intentions means that he has always given you exactly what you need to get through. This is true. Now, it may not feel like you have enough. It may be painful or uncertain, but even though the bag does not inflate, oxygen is flowing through the mask. That God does not abandon us to try and get through these moments on our own strength or out of things that we've had to bring with us. He provides us with every good and perfect gift. He's given us exactly what we need, which means that as children of God, whatever we're lacking materially, no matter how empty we might feel for the things that we need to get through life, there is one thing that the children of God always can provide and have, which is that we have access to the hope of a God who's conquered death. No matter what else you think you're missing, no matter what else you might be lacking, you have this, you have what you need, which is the hope of God. Because he's proven it through the shipwrecks of others and through the shipwrecks you've experienced. And then with that hope of God, finally in these shipwrecks, God will use you to rescue the other people in the boat. You're gonna be his agent of hope and mercy to the struggling, drowning people around you. This is why we have to make sure that we pay attention to the pre-flight safety instructions because we're the ones who have access to them. We've got the scriptures, we've seen the stories, we know how to get through the shipwrecks of life the way Paul got through them, which means in those moments of trial, we have to be the ones guiding people to the nearest exits, calmly passing this hope that we have and using it to be our witness to a hurting and scared world. And that, even in the midst of a shipwreck, God is, he cares about you and he has intentions for you, but not only you. He wants to rescue you and he wants to use you to rescue the others that are drowning around you. This is a powerful hope. This is a purpose that God has for you and for me. And I'll tell you, even knowing all this, even having read Acts chapter 27 and 28, I would still rather not be in the shipwreck. I wouldn't. Partly, that's because I have something called thalassophobia, which if you've heard of it, means a deadly fear of oceans. And I have it both literally, I literally have thalassophobia, I will never go on a cruise ship, I am not in my retirement and counting the days till I get to go on a princess line, no thank you, not interested, terrifying. I also have thalassophobia figuratively. I don't want to go through risky and uncertain things in life. I don't want to take bold, adventurous moves. I, if I had my choice, I would like to be the lighthouse. Let me be the lighthouse, shining a beacon of hope to all those other people that are out there in the middle of the shipwreck. That is better to me. That feels like a much, uh, much safer way to do it. That would be the choice I would make for my life each and every time. Except, that every growth of character I've ever had, every accomplishment that I'm proud of, every trustworthy relationship I've made has only come because of the shipwrecks in my life. I mean it, I think about my best friend and he's a good guy and I think that I would have always liked him no matter what, but the fact is that I met him while we were in the middle of a year long missionary tour where we were just driving in a van all around the world 
sleeping in a different house every night, never knowing where our next meal was coming from. It was with people that I'd never even met before. It was so stressful and hard and difficult. But as a result of it, he and I forged a bond that no one can replace. He's my best friend today because we went through that, that incredibly trialful, difficult year together. Or I think about uh, a few years ago when I was at a company that was going through a lot of turmoil and transition itself, and I was trying to write a comic book version of the Bible at the same time as having my first baby, which meant that I didn't get a lot of sleep for about six months. Because every night I was typing away, trying to, trying to type up this thing, and then feeding the baby, and then back to typing, and then back to feeding the baby all night long, most nights, almost every night. And yet, as a result of that, two of the things I'm proudest of in the world, that book and, and that baby, came to fruition. Or even think about the church I was at back in Colorado, which had a, an unhealthy environment, one that, that led to, to my having to uproot my family. We had to leave our parents and siblings and cousins behind and, and just move to St. Louis where we didn't know anybody. And yet because of that shipwreck is how I ended up here at Pathfinder Church. And if all of these stories are, are, are a reminder to you, I hope they are, that there's, something, that there's something beautiful and powerful that God's doing even in our worst times, this is the one I wanna end on. That as we have gone through this shipwreck of a global pandemic, Churches are struggling. Americans are leaving their churches in droves right now because, because so much uh, discomfort and anxiety and fear has been provoked. People are abandoning ship in the midst of the storm. But here at Pathfinder Church, even more of us have banded together in the midst of this storm. And we've said that if we're gonna have to go through a global pandemic shipwreck, then this is the group of people we wanna be in the boat with. And that's exactly how I feel about this place and this community that we have forged together here. That the shipwreck has done nothing but just expose exactly why we need each other. It's given us an excuse to band together. Because just like the sailors, if, if some of them leave, they're not gonna make it, but all of them had to stick together and that's how they got through that storm on that boat. And what I hope you learn from Acts 27 and 28 is that God is doing powerful things, not just in your life individually, but in our life collectively. And that we have everything we need from God to be a blessing to our neighborhoods, our communities, that banded together, we will be a force of rescue for those around us who need it most. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I'd like to come before you this morning and I'd like to pray that you would spare us from the shipwrecks, that you would just keep us safe and warm in the lighthouse. But Lord, I know and I see so clearly in my life, in the lives of others and in your scripture that it's in the shipwrecks that you do amazing things. It's in the shipwrecks that you grow us, bring us ultimate blessing, and then also ultimately use us to bless others. And so Lord, right now, I pray that your hand would be with us, that you would come against any fear or uncertainty, any scarcity that says we don't have enough in this season to get through it, let alone to bless others. And Lord, that you would fill us with the abundance that comes from your hope and your purpose in our lives. Lord, let this be true. Amen.